Again, it will be very useful for you to have this passage open before you this evening because I'm going to read further into that chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 25 on page 297. David and his men, as I said a moment ago, are in the wilderness, but they haven't been wasting their time there in the wilderness. It's uh, an inhospitable and a remote area, but it's also a high crime area. Bandits are lurking in the caves and behind the rocks, and they're ready to, to mug anyone who shows any signs of carrying wealth through the district. So David and his men have spent their time in the wilderness providing protection. That comes through in the verses that we've already read. They're like a, an unofficial neighborhood watch here. They provide law and order in a terror, territory that's overrun by outlaws. And we need to understand that because that's the context in which David makes contact with Naval. David's men had been providing protection for the men who looked after Naval's sheep. Now, it's sheep shearing time, and that is always party time. That's when people feast uh, in the, the culture of the times. So when David and his hungry wilderness patrol sent to Naval asking for some supplies, there were laws of hospitality that dictated that David would expect a favorable response. Instead, he got an insult. Who is this David? Who's this son of Jesse? And Naval, whose name, by the way, means fool, he gives entirely the inappropriate response. If David thinks he's going to eat at my table, he'd better think again. That might help you understand David's response when he hears back, when the report comes back from Naval. In a flash, he turns in a rage to his men, put on your swords. I can't imagine if, if somebody turned me down for an evening meal that I'd be saying to Claire, let's put on our swords and, and go and... But, but that's the context in, in which David's rage uh, Naval's actions here have been entirely inappropriate and downright insulting. At this moment, I think David's in huge danger. His life is in danger. And this time it's not Saul. If you've been with us during those evenings in October, you'll remember that David's life was repeatedly in danger because Saul was trying to kill him. Well, I think David's in massive danger here. And it's not Saul. David is in danger of himself. David's furious. He has murder in his eyes. He's been insulted and it stung him. And now he's out to get revenge. He takes his 400 men, tells them to, to arm themselves with swords. He's hell-bent on destroying Naval. In verse 3 of this chapter, we were introduced to Naval's wife, Abigail, and we're told that she was an intelligent and a beautiful woman. We're told that she's beautiful. The word translated here, beautiful, is the same word that's been used twice in previous chapters of David. Whenever he was first introduced to Samuel, we're told that David was beautiful. Describing his appearance as a young boy, whenever the young boy went out to fight the giant Goliath, again we're told his appearance 
was beautiful. It speaks of David's innocence, his glowing and attractive personality. David, we're told repeatedly, is beautiful, but he's not beautiful now. Right now, he's ugly. He's losing all sense of what God has been doing in him and through him. David, who who managed to stop himself from killing Saul. Do you remember the time Saul was sleeping in the cave? Everything was pointing David towards taking his life there and then, and David wouldn't do it. But here he is, and he's just about to become another Saul, to go out and murder anyone who comes in his way, anyone who offends him or insults him. And it's at this point that Abigail enters the story. So let's pick up again in our reading. Picking up at verse 14, let me read for you. One of the servants told Naval's wife, Abigail, David sent servants from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not ill-treat us. The whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us. All the time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He's such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, two sayers of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins and two hundred cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there came David and his men descending towards her and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. He's paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, My Lord, Let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to me. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Naval. He's just like his name. His name is Fool, and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I didn't see the men my master sent. Now, since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed, and from avenging yourself with your own hands. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Naval. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my master, be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master, because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he'll hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. 
when the Lord has done for my master every good thing he has promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master success, remember your servant. We'll break there. David is rushing headlong into disaster. He's allowing his sense of injustice and of rage to to drive him on. It's growing with every step as he approaches Naval. But then he reaches and meets Abigail, and she stops him in his tracks. She, true to the description of her earlier in the chapter, seems to be an intelligent woman. She knows that David's men need supplies, that they're, they're annoyed because they're missing out on a party. So she brings all the food with her. And now that she's intercepted David, she throws herself on the ground before David and cries out to him, please, please, please don't do this. Remember who you are. Remember God is at work in your life. Remember his anointing. Remember his promise to make you the king of Israel. Remember all the purposes that he has for you. Remember that you have a heart after God's own heart. Don't let this ungodly fool and these circumstances drive you to revenge and bloodshed. Things that you'll regret for the rest of your days. In effect, Abigail is saying to David, listen, David, vengeance isn't your matter. It's the Lord's. Leave it with him. He'll deal with this situation. We all need our Abigails, friends. As we make our way through life, people come along and situations come along that throw us off track. They can take us those of us who have, have been doing our, our utmost and, and trusting in God and following God, and all of a sudden something can happen that can throw us entirely off track. We need at those times to be intercepted. We need someone to stop us in our tracks and put us back on the right path. Often God uses people to do this for us. I've known times in my life when when I've sensed God doing this for me, often it'll be in my relationship with Claire. She'll be the, the Abigail who, who says, stop, what you're doing is, is wrong. The direction you're going is entirely wrong. Stop, turn around, remember who you are and who God is. Sometimes God will use circumstances in our lives Friends, we shouldn't be surprised if God does this to us. He's our loving Heavenly Father. If we're going off the rails, we should expect God to step in and to stop us in our tracks. The big question is our response. How will we respond when God sends an Abigail into our path? The story here in in 1 Samuel 25 goes on to tell us how David responded to Abigail. And this is the last, just a few verses to read this time, beginning at verse 32. 
after Abigail has come to David, thrown herself and begged him to reconsider. Verse 32, David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to me today. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Naval would be left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought to him and said, go home in peace. I've heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Naval, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing until daybreak. Then in the morning when Naval was sober, his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him and he became like a stone. Then 10 days later, the Lord struck down Naval and he died. When David heard that Naval was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Naval for treating me with contempt. He's kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Naval's wrongdoing down on his own head. That's the, the last part of that chapter we're going to read this evening, folks. There's no happy ending in this story for Naval. He got what was coming to him all along. But Abigail was right. Vengeance is for the Lord, not for David. By intercepting David and reminding him of his place under God, she had she'd prevented him from wholesale murder. If you remember when we started this series, when we began to think together about the life of David, we learned that the Bible talked about David as a man after God's own heart. And as we've been looking at these episodes, we've been seeing different characteristics of David that have been building up a picture for us of what it might mean to be a person after God's own heart. Well, I think here this evening, we have discovered yet another characteristic of a person after God's heart. David is willing to listen to God. You may not have noticed it. Again, this is a, a very, very skillfully written story. Did you notice in verse 17 how the, the storyteller describes Naval? He's such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. In Ulster, we'd say, there's no talking to him. He's, he's a person who cannot listen, cannot take advice or rebuke. And by contrast in this story, we find David to be the exact opposite. Someone who even in, in the heat of his rage can stop and can listen and can hear the voice of God. It's not the first time we've seen David listening. Throughout all those earlier chapters, David repeatedly listens to Samuel. He listens to God. He listens to Abiathar the priest. He listens to Jonathan. It's a characteristic of David that he has a, an open ear um, ready to listen.
A lesser man than David would have ignored Abigail on her face in the dirt. He'd have barged on in his rage. He would have said something like, I'm not going to let her talk me out of my ideas. I've got my mind set on what I'm doing. I'm single-minded. I'm focused. Nobody talks me around. They would have been so convinced that they wouldn't have heard the voice of God in the voice of Abigail. We need to be willing for God to interrupt us in our lives. As I close this evening, I wonder how willing we are for that. For those of us tonight who already follow Jesus Christ, how open are we to being challenged in the way that we're living? How open are we to to God stepping in and saying, no, that's not right. I, I want you to change. If we're harboring anger in our hearts and we're justifying that, that anger against someone and a friend comes along and says to us, no, no, you must forgive. You, you must forgive and move on. How do we respond? Are we humble enough to accept that rebuke? Or do we go on justifying ourselves do we tell them that they're, they should keep their nose out of it? What about when we hear God's word or when we read God's word for ourselves and it, it throws, throws light on an area of our lives that, that's not right? Do we allow God to speak to us, to pull us up, or do we just continue as before, intent to do our own thing, come what may, Tonight we've been reminded that even those like David who have been a long way on the road with God need to be pulled up. And David is a wonderful example to us of somebody who's willing to take that and to respond to it. It's possible, and I say this as a very final word, it's possible that some people here this evening aren't yet following Jesus Christ And the Bible teaches us that a person, until a person's trusted Jesus, they're in in rebellion against God. Their whole lives are heading in the wrong direction. We use the expression in in modern day speech, hell-bent, to describe a person who's heading for disaster. And friends, that's exactly the situation of a person who, who doesn't recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ in their own lives. Friends, it's my privilege tonight to come and to stand before you and tell you that that's not what God wants for you. Time and time again, by God's grace, he he comes and he interrupts you where you are. He stops you in your tracks. That's what Jesus did when he walked on the earth. He confronted people who didn't yet love God and he said, repent, turn around and go the other way. Live for God. That's why Jesus came into the world. To stop us in our tracks, to turn us around and turn us back to God that we might not perish but have everlasting and wonderful life. Maybe you've heard it all before. Maybe you've heard it hundreds or thousands of times before. All the sermons in the world are just water off a duck's back. 
I want to plead with you tonight, be careful. Don't assume that God will always, repeatedly offer you the opportunity to turn in your tracks. God's patient and he's gracious, but only a fool would assume that God's patience will never end. The Bible tells us, and I'll leave you with this verse tonight, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Friends, God in his grace has come to each one of us. He longs to turn us around, put us on the right track with him. Let us pray.